and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about newer crop pests. And, you know, when you think about that, okay, what are some bugs uh, that you haven't had before? How about mites? How about nematodes? Those kinds of things. And, you know, with some of these things, you may say, well, no, we've had that one for a while. But there are other areas across North America that haven't quite seen that one yet. Or maybe something's brand new here, like Japanese beetles in our farm. We don't have a huge issue with them yet, but we really hadn't seen any Japanese beetles on our farm until the last few years. So that one is a little bit of a newer pest here. And when you have newer pests coming in, you've got to change up what you're doing to manage things a little bit or or you're going to get bit. And, you know, one of those things that we see a little bit of is stink bugs here. And there's other parts of North America that see stink bugs every year, spray multiple times, those kinds of things. Well, we don't want that problem to to get away from us here uh, where we've, we've got to fight them to that nth degree. Soybean gall midge larvae is one that, that we have here. And there are other parts of the country that are you're hearing the same thing, and you may be one of those folks saying, yeah, I don't have that one yet. I really don't want that one because it sounds pretty bad. This is where we can all learn from each other a little bit by talking about, hey, what are some of the challenges you've got? And even if you don't raise that particular crop or have that particular pest problem yet, if you kind of take notes of, ooh, wow, if I do this or that, if if I happen to ever get those mites or those nematodes or, or those bugs that are, are bothering the other guys, I, I can take care of them here without a big economic loss. Well, when you're talking about pests, I, I mean, you went to, you were just talking about insects there. I'm thinking about weeds. I'm thinking about diseases. Uh, and you mentioned insects and mites, but nematodes, another thing I'm concerned about. So salesmen, you know, all kinds of pests out there. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, those pesky seed corn salesmen coming down the driveway Yeah, this time of year. it's People say it's deer season, it's also seed corn salesman season. <laughs> but anyway, the, the whole thing is it's identification, and then it's trying to figure out, all right, how can I get this thing under control? And it doesn't always have to be you need a pesticide to control a pest. We talk all the time about just cultural practices. If you can get the crop to shade out your rows very well, then typically you're going to have fewer weed issues. So that may mean you need to plant a little thicker, go to narrower row spacing, have better drainage, have better fertility. I mean, lots of things that you can do to take care of that. But the problem is, and this is where the trade-offs start happening, okay, I'm going to go to more population, narrower row, I'm going to push fertility and everything else, and that's all great. Now I have a lot fewer weeds, but you know what you probably are going to have more of? Disease issues. So now you have to start figuring out, all right, how do I take care of those pests? And maybe it's selecting different varieties. It's using a better seed treatment. It's spraying a foliar fungicide. I mean, anyway, it just it keeps going this way. And this is, well, this is why Darren and I have jobs as agronomists, because we're trying to figure out, all right, how do we get to the next yield level? And then once we're there, all right, now what do we need to do to get to the next yield level? And there are always these challenges that Mother Nature keeps throwing at us. But honestly, it's pretty fun. I mean, yields have continued to go up over time. The crop prices 
for the most part, the last few years, like in our corn and soybeans have been pretty good. Wheat, too. So, I, I mean, at, at least there's a future and there's hope. And you look at around the world, too, and just the growing world population we're doing a great job in North America providing safe and healthy food. It's awesome. It's exciting. And I don't know, I just, I really like agriculture. I think we're in a great profession. But yeah, we have these challenges, these pests constantly that we're trying to fight. And the reason why we're talking about newer crop pests today is it always seems like, all right, when you solve a problem, a new one pops up, kind of like what I was talking about, but literally it could be something you've never seen before, like even tar spot. I, I mean, that disease has only been around for like 10 years in corn, and it's costing some guys 50 or 100 bushels to the acre. So sometimes something brand new can pop up. Or here's the other thing. It might just be new to you. For example... Last year, we had some farmers that had smut for the first time in their farming career. Never had seen it on their farm. Now, fortunately, some of us with lots and lots of gray hair, I mean, we've seen it enough times, and we know, okay, here's why you had the problem. Here's what you need to do in the future. But unfortunately, there are a lot of things that are tied to seed varieties, and the downside to developing newer, better varieties so fast is people switch away from the old varieties pretty quickly. So a lot of times, like on our own farm, I mean, we're planting 3,500 crop acres. The oldest variety we've got is maybe three years old. Right, Darren? Three? Maybe four. But yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, they don't last very long no, anymore, that's for sure. We're planting there's, a lot of new varieties. There's new stuff. There's new traits, obviously. But, you know, the other thing that's happening and everybody thinks about, well, you know, the, the new varieties are just slightly better on yield. Maybe. But a lot of the big changes are on the defensive side that they find, ooh, uh, anthracnose stock rot tolerance is one that's really moved forward. And there's a lot of hybrids with pretty good tolerance right now and just a few years ago that wasn't the case physoderma is another one right now if you're not sure what physoderma is and why stocks might be breaking and falling over uh, check that one out but we're seeing the breeders making a big effort there and of course tar spot right now everybody's aware that the breeders are working very hard to get better tar spot tolerance in our corn hybrids today on the soybean side it's the same thing there there are a lot of issues there on soybeans root knot nematode brian uh, and i both mentioned nematodes earlier uh, that's one that there aren't very many varieties out there that have a resistance gene for root knot nematodes and we definitely need that in some parts of the country uh, you look at the Peking soybean cyst nematode resistance gene. That one's getting a lot of work, too, trying to find varieties that yield more and those kinds of things. So it's going to be the defensive traits that, that are some of the big differences on a year-to-year basis bringing new varieties out. Well, we're talking about some of the newer crop pests that we're facing across North America, and we'll get right into that discussion after this. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. 
they'll hate all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. It's one thing to deal with the pest that's been there for a long time man we for sure have to do something about pigweed we for sure have to do something about corn rootworm we for sure have to deal with soybean aphids you know those pests that have been around for a long time but some of the newer ones can sometimes sneak up and catch you because your existing program may not address them in the best way so we're talking about some of the newer crop pests on today's show if you've got agronomic questions our phone lines will be open throughout at 844 44 ag phd let's start off uh, we've got c brown with us right now with university of tennessee thanks thanks for joining us today really appreciate having you on yeah thank you i uh, appreciate being on all right when it comes to new pests and i i don't know, when i hear the term pest i i first go to insects and think about what's happening so from an entomology standpoint what are some of the newer bugs that we're fighting out there so and these are primarily going to be in the southern part of the United States where I'm, I'm obviously out of Tennessee. So when I've worked at southern land grant institutions my whole career, and so these are going to not necessarily apply to the whole United States. This will be for what we face in the south. And um, so primarily what we're seeing, kudzu bug is one that has moved in within the last 10 years or so. Um, it's uh, invasive out of Asia, and they primarily feed on kudzu. And but they also like soybeans as well. So that's that's one that we fight. Uh, brown marmorated stink bug is another one. They're in the northeast. Started out introduced in the northeast and then made their way across the southeastern United States and have become a, a a pretty severe economic problem for us in Tennessee. Not only in row crops but in uh, you know vegetable crops and fruit crops. So they're a very prolific insect that likes to eat on. If it's got a piece of fruit on it, they feed on it. Uh, and then out of the south, you've got the red-banded stink bug. That one was introduced probably over 20 years ago, but it migrates north as we have temperate winters. Uh, we don't get a cold enough killing freeze. They might make their way north, and uh, they infest soybeans, and they're a very serious and problematic pest, especially for our southern soybean growers. 
and uh, they are probably the most expensive test that those guys, at least south, southern, the southern part of my state, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas, those guys fight pretty hard. So a um, lot of a uh, lot of invasives moving in that are considered our new pests. I would say that are that kind of make their way in the field crop. Yeah, the challenge uh, being up here in the north is our primary winds are coming out of the south. We're getting storms coming right. out of the south. The winds are coming out of the south. We get diseases that make their way north. We get some bugs that come north as well. And so we like to keep up to date on what's happening south of us. Yeah, uh, very much so. And it's uh, I know my colleagues try to forecast disease outbreaks as they move kind of from south to north and uh you know, something else that we do is we look at resistance in insects also. So it's not a new insect, but it's a new, essentially can be kind of a new insect because they're resistant to certain insecticides that we may use, or whether that be a foliar or an intro or a seed treatment or a new beet or a BT. You know, we that's something that we do as a applied entomologist is we kind of screen the, the new insects and the knowns for resistance. And so we are seeing some... Uh, some resistance issues starting to pop up with some of our native pests uh, also. You know, with so. with the increase in cover crop usage, with less tillage being done, uh, I think if you were a bug, you'd probably say, man, if I could just get the guys not to do so much tillage and to leave me something that's alive out in the field longer, uh, you couldn't dial up a better recipe for bug survival. Does that make your job a little tougher? <laughs> it does. And that's so... Uh, and this is a thing that, and, you know, I was previously at LSU, and we didn't have many cover crops because we, we put steel on the ground. And so we're moving to Tennessee. Tennessee is a we're 90% no-till across the state, and cover crops are a big component of the no-till. And so it's, as an entomologist, and I say this, I'm not a fan of cover crops. And so that's, um, I see the issues that cover crops bring to the table for the entomological side. Now, I'm not arguing they're, the soil, the you know, the reduction in erosion, uh, sequestration of nitrogen by legumes. I mean, I, those are proven. And but from an entomology perspective, we walk the train wrecks that a lot of people don't see. And so, and a lot of that is when guys plant cover crops, and a lot of the issues is they don't terminate them early enough. And so, if they're not terminated in a timely fashion, and we say four to six weeks, uh, if they're not terminated, then you could have some serious problems. And I've I've only been at Tennessee for two years, and my first year I walked some fields that were replanted three times due to cover crops not being terminated in a timely fashion. And soybeans just took an absolute hit from three-cornered alfalfa offers. And so they are, it can complicate things for sure. So growers just need to go into it knowing that if they have cover crops, they need to make sure that they need, if they're going to plant green, which I know is becoming more popular, they need to have an IPM, they need to have a recipe ready have treated seed, uh, potentially be ready to make foliar applications. Um, and so just be anticipate something potentially coming up and, and hurting your cash crop. But if you're going to burn down in time, that forces the insects out most of the time, and uh, we don't see a whole lot of ill effects, but it still can happen. You know, another couple challenges are higher planting populations and uh, just less crop rotations. So... A lot of guys figure out, man, I, I got this great market for corn. I'm just going to keep growing corn. Or I used to be a three-crop guy. Now I'm a two-crop rotation guy. Right. And when we shorten those rotations up or eliminate them, and also we're planting high plant populations, we've got maybe a little thinner stock. 
uh, I don't know. We've we've got quite a home there for for the bugs out in our fields. Yeah, and that's where we see the main issues a lot. Is definitely higher plant populations that can it can uh, play into increased pest pressure, and then also where we have a buildup of below ground insects. And I don't have to tell that to anybody that grows corn in the Midwest with rootworms. And so a lot of this, you know, solution is if you rotate away from corn into beans or into something else that, you know, essentially as a non-host, you can help solve some of your issues. But in reality, that's not an option a lot of times. So that's kind of where we are when it comes to, you know, especially the rootworm issues. Um, you know, rotation is, I say, rotation is key. That's a major cultural practice that is a, that we try to preach as IPM practitioners that if you've got disease or nematodes or below-ground insects, you know, if you rotate, you can solve a lot of your problems by rotating to a different crop and being on a, you know, annual, biannual rotation basis. Um, you know, that, that really kind of would help solve some of our least our pest issues. Yeah, there are a lot of cultural things that, that you can do on the farm. And, and you just think back to how did our forefathers do these things before they had all the tools that we've got. And it was a lot of the cultural practices that helped them stop these these pests. Uh, but there are some tough invasive ones. I really appreciate uh, having C. Brown on here. We've been talking about kudzu bug, uh, brown marmorated stink bugs, red banded stink bugs, expensive pests to stop. Uh, so hopefully you guys do a great job with them in the south, Seab, so so we don't see those coming further north. Yeah, I, I, we'd like to keep them down here. I'm sure we'd have guys who want to send them up y'all's way, but I think <laughs> What y'all have that we don't, we've got, y'all have severe cold, and that's going to stop a lot of, some of our invasives can can weather extreme cold very well, others cannot whatsoever. So it's, uh, the cold really kind of is the, 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 the gap in between. That's the bridge that'll stop a lot of things from coming, you know, from the south to the north, so long as y'all stay cold, I think y'all be, y'all, y'all be doing okay. Well, there's got to be some, got to be some benefit of getting that cold. <laughs> oh, Steve, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again sometime. Yeah, thank you. Talking about some of the newer crop pests that are out there, and uh, we were just talking about some of the pests that are down in Tennessee and in the southern part of North America, but love to hear about some of the challenges that you've got and, and try to come up with some solutions to solve some of these problems out in fields. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Uh, you know, you look at this, Brian, I would say that cover crop thing that Sieb got into is one of the big questions we get. When do I terminate that? And and he was saying, you got to terminate it a little sooner if you want to stop the bugs. Yeah, or don't have a cover crop. And here's here's the thing. We talk about trade-offs all the time, and I got into that earlier in the show. Yeah, cover crops can have tremendous benefits. We're not saying they don't. It's just that you have to plan that some other things now are going to occur because you put the cover crops out there and it could potentially be more pests like diseases and insects. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. 
Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. We feel heaven Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amped herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. I don't want this show to be scary. We're talking about some of the newer crop pests, and we're definitely not trying to scare anyone. But we want to talk about, hey, if you get a newer pest on your farm, whether that's a weed or a bug or a mite or, or whatever it is, that, hey, i got to stop this thing or I can't raise a great crop. We want to talk about those things so uh, you can make more money on the farm and have a little more fun. Got Garrison Gundy on right now. Works with Valent. How you doing, Garrison? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Pretty good. I mean, there are a lot of pests out there, and I mentioned nematodes and insects, uh, weeds. How about mites? On the mite side, what are you seeing that's that's getting really tough? And and what are some of the other new crop pests you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, last year was a, a strange one. You know, some of the areas where we typically see mites. Um, uh, we didn't have them as much as those areas receive rainfall. Um, but in a lot of other areas, we did see mites show up because of the drought and they kind of took people by surprise how quickly they can take down your crops. So definitely something that needs to be on people's radar. Yeah. When you think about spider mites, I know on our farm, that's something that the earlier they 
come, the tougher it's going to be and the more yield loss I've got to worry about because these little guys uh, can reproduce pretty quickly. And sometimes we kill the bug and we don't don't uh, kill the offspring that are coming after them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the tough thing about them, right? They can their life cycle can be as short as 14 days. So you can have, you know, five to even up to seven generations in one crop year. And that makes it really tough. But like you said, if you don't, you really want to target getting after their, getting after them early in the season when they first show up and don't let them get to a severe threshold or it's going to be a tough battle to control them. And you'll see lots of yield loss. In the old days, we used to spray Lorsman on them. Maybe we'll get to do that again. Who knows? Uh, we've been using some bifenthrin, and that can do a decent job in our area still knocking down mites, but it, it doesn't stop them further. Uh, we had a lot of growers that over the last few years here of drought have said, all right, I need to step my game up and move to a miticide. What is, what's different about a miticide, and, and what do you see with your product specifically? Yeah, so the, the chemistries you talked about, they can provide control. A lot of times we see, you know, suppression with those, not full control. But the harm with using those is you're going to con- or you're going to wipe out the beneficials. And with mites, it is very, very critical to keep the beneficials out there to control them. Um, you know, for so you want to use an actual miticide. So for valent, we have the Zeal products, um, and you know, with them, you're targeting. Going out there when you first see them because you do see really good residual control um, with the active Enzeal products. And then also the translamina movement to move it to the underside of the leaves is very critical because that's where the mites are a lot of times hanging out. So, yeah, you want to use a, uh, a true miticide so you're keeping the beneficials out there and providing an, another tool for controlling mites. You know, some of the challenge with spider mites is getting coverage, too. I, I often see them down on lower leaves and undersides of leaves. Uh, talk about that for just a second. When you're trying to spray for a, a pest like that, how do you get the best results using your product? Yeah, so with Zeal, we, we, you know, we recommend using 5GPA and aerial applications. We've done a lot of studies in the past, and we... You know, from experience, I can walk into a field and know if it was sprayed with less than 5 GPA pretty quickly just because you're not getting coverage, you're not getting active ingredient to, you know, ear, leaf, and blow where those mites are hanging out before they flare up to the top. So, you know, we've, we've seen that higher GPA is extremely important. Um, one thing we do recommend with the Zeal products as well is to not use a sticker-type adjuvant. We see that can kind of hang it up and reduce some translamer movement through the leaf to the bottom side. So that's really the, the two main things, you know, higher GPA, make sure if you're aerial ap- applying above or at five GPA or, or above. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, and when we think about those zeal products uh, getting after their or getting after spider mites a little earlier makes a big difference. I know on our farm, that's certainly something we've learned over the years too. We don't, don't want to wait. Uh, we want to make sure we're scouting all the way through because if they get started early, they can definitely rob some yield. Garrison, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Yep, thanks. Bye. Got Jeff Whitworth with us with Kansas State. Uh, Jeff, uh, you heard about spider mites there. What are some other uh, crop pests that you'd say maybe are a little newer to Kansas that, that guys should be aware of? <laughs> well, this year... Um... We had a lot of pests, and most of them were covered with the drought, so they didn't do that bad this year. But 
our latest, probably worst invasive species is the sugarcane aphid on sorghum or sorghum aphid, whichever you prefer. Um, that came in the state in about 2013, uh, 2014, right in that uh, time frame. And for the first two years, we didn't know what to do. You know, anytime you get a new pest in, you don't know much about it. You have to look around and see what the folks that have dealt with it for many years are doing. Uh, and that's what we did. So in the last three or four years, we've had a few sugarcane aphid outbreaks here and there, but nothing as decimating as it was in 2015, 2016. Um, we've had soybean aphids. Every year we get soybean aphids come in from the north. Um, they're a cooler weather pest, so we haven't had much of a problem with them, but every year they're here, so any, we always worry about if we have a cool um, July or August, soybean aphids may take off. Probably the most, the two insects we have heard about or most recently worried about is the soybean gall midge and the wheat stem sawfly, neither of which have taken off in Kansas yet, thank goodness, but um, I'm sure they will, you know, the populations will increase over the years and we will have more of a problem with them. The last one that we're really having a problem with but it's been here probably for 20 years, is Japanese beetles. Japanese beetles affect corn and, soybean, and soybeans, other crops also, but as far as agriculture goes, uh, the Japanese beetles have moved west across the state. They always were a problem in the I states, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa. But in the last probably six or seven years, they really moved across Kansas from, west, or from east to west. And they can do a number on the silking. It, it, it's all about timing. If they come around when the corn's silking, they can do a number on silks. Or they can eat the tender leaves on uh, soybeans. So those are our most recent invasive species, I think, that we have had problems with here in Kansas. Yeah, know when the sugarcane aphid first started being a big issue in Oklahoma and Kansas, I was looking at some of the pictures, uh, and I think they they came from you, and I happened to be traveling that year. I was down in Arizona, and I went out in a field, and a guy said, what's going on here? And I said, man, that looks like sugarcane aphid. And he had heard about it, and he's like, how do you know about that from South Dakota? And I said, well, I'm watching what's <laughs> happening south of us. I don't, I don't want those things blowing up here. And uh, so I appreciate uh, getting the heads up on that one, because that one, boy, it can sure be a big problem. Problem. And you mentioned, speak of big problems, a wheat stem sawfly and soybean gall midge. I, I agree with you. Those are bad, bad deals. And it's tough to kill bugs when they're already inside your stem. That is. It's, uh, it's, you know what? It's all about timing. But in the case of these two, it's, timing can't even help yet. We haven't figured anything out yet. Fortunately, we haven't had to, so we have a little more time. We just actually found um, the gall midge in any appreciable numbers this past year, 2023, and they run on the Nebraska-Kansas border. Um, so they've not really caused a problem, but, man, they got everybody's attention up in the north-central part of the state, and that's all they talk about now is what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's It's been a, a challenge up in Nebraska for a while, up in southern South Dakota, over into Iowa and Minnesota, and, and it's it's spreading. 
Yeah, it's been been tough. That's why we're talking about newer crop pests today, and a great source of information is always Jeff Whitworth down at Kansas State. Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Hey, I appreciate it. Anytime. Have a great day. You too. Yeah, Jeff mentions a couple. He's already on the lookout for for bugs that could be moving into his area. I think that's a great strategy. You always got to be watching what's uh, what's one or two states over because it could be coming your way soon. So we'll talk more about newer crop pests and we'll dive into the Ag PhD mailbag coming up next. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Banning nitrogen from your planter saves you money. Don't waste those savings by buying an expensive application system. Clever design and engineering means 360 bandits, colders, and hose guides work to get the nitrogen in the perfect place for rapid root uptake. 360 bandit puts a band of nitrogen on both sides of the seed trench, three quarters of an inch deep. And 360 bandit costs a fraction of what more complex systems cost. Don't overspend. Choose 360 bandit from 360 Yield Center. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. 
We're live in the Morton studio. Just been talking about newer crop pests again. Our number one suggestion is identify what the pest is. And if you don't know what it is, ask an agronomist or an extension agent or something like that. And then you have to determine, is it a harmful pest? Is it really going to hurt your crop? Is it worth it to treat? And in the case of insects and weeds, in a, in a lot of situations, you can scout, you can see the pest, and then you can spray and everything's fine. With diseases, it unfortunately doesn't work that way. And that's the biggest challenge we have with fungicides is you have to spray before you see the disease. By the time you've seen the disease, you've already lost a bunch of yield. Your fungicide may work okay, but it's certainly not going to give you the same ROI as it would have had you sprayed a week or two earlier. So that's the big challenge with disease. Scouting doesn't work. You just have to kind of understand your area and susceptible varieties and susceptible crops and then treat accordingly if you feel you have the right conditions. So Anyway, a lot more challenging on the disease front than it is weeds and insects. Oh, I should throw one thing out too. When you talk about newer crop pests, I, I, I want to bring up even old crop pests that now have to be controlled new ways. So, for example, just even when you think about water hemp, okay, if it's now resistant to Roundup, if it's resistant to ALS herbicides, in some cases, we're looking at possible HPPD resistance, possible 2,4-D or dicamba resistance. So all of a sudden, you go, oh, these were good options. Well, now they're not. So I actually look at those things as a new pest as well because it's not just water hemp. It is all those things resistant water hemp. So it is different in my book. And that's where you have to attack it a little differently. Now, fortunately, in terms of weeds, we have lots of options, depending on the crop. I mean, there are certainly some specialty crops where you don't have as many options. But if I'm talking corn or soybeans, oh, I'm not worried. I just know that I have to change my plan. And like in the case of soybeans, the best products you can use on water hemp are pre-emerge herbicides. If you don't get those down, all of a sudden your beans emerge well, now you get a real problem because we are left with very few choices post-emerge. So anyway, just all things for you to consider. Anyway, if you run into any new pests on your farm, we would like to hear about it. We'll do everything we can to help you. You can simply email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can call us anytime, 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, we're going to get to the AgPHD mailbag. All right, Brian, two questions here from Darwin, one on each particular field. So here's the first field, and his question's on zinc. So, all right, I've got really low zinc levels in this particular field. I banded 15 pounds of 33, banded 15 pounds of 33% zinc sulfate with a 10-inch drill each of the last two years. So I've put on a total of 10 pounds of actual zinc per acre. Now, I drilled in opposing directions to end up with more of a grid pattern, <laughs> but my samples only show an increase exactly where the band went. That's what I was going to say. Will the zinc eventually move enough nope. to even it out? No, it won't unless you make it move. If you do tillage, then it will move. But that's the challenge with nutrients like phosphorus, zinc, and copper. They are pretty much immobile in soil. So, I, now, don't get me wrong. There Are there situations where they could move? Well, of course. Like phosphorus, we were talking about 
on a show a while back, well, yeah, if you have a thousand parts per million, well, sure, it's going to move. But when we're talking with normal levels in a field, phosphorus, zinc, copper, they're stuck. So it, Darren was reading that question, and I was looking at the soil test, and I go, okay, I got a point here. I'm, I'll just read you a list of five tests. Zinc parts per million. Yep, zinc parts per million. 0 0.7, 0 0.3, 0 0.4, 0 0.4, 4.4. Hmm, I wonder where the band is. You see where I'm going with this. And my concern is, okay, one plant might get that. Well, now you may have an overload of zinc compared to phosphorus. We don't. Don't, go, don't worry, we don't here. But I'm just saying you can overdo some of these things. And then in between where we had all those other samples, it's like, okay, well, now I have nothing there. And I don't know, you know, exactly what's going to hit, when you're going to hit it, everything else. Let's put it this way. We talk about this with strip-till people all the time because they always ask us, all right, well, where should I sample? Unfortunately, you're going to have to random sample, kind of like this. But he figured out, all right, where he had put the, put the zinc, it's still there. So you got a couple choices. One, you could do tillage. Two, in the future, you could just broadcast everything. Or really, going back in time, you could have just broadcast everything rather than band it. Or three, you can continue banding and then just keep moving your rows over. If you, Let's say you moved your rows over every four inches or four inches every year. In just a few years, you'd have everything built up. So think about it this way. A lot of people say, well, I want to be in a slow build program over four years. Okay, well, that's basically what you're doing right here. Or, you know, however many years you want to figure. Um, you only put that band out. Okay, let's say it was one-fourth of your row. Well, just keep moving that row over a little bit, however far you feel like you need to move it over, four inches, six inches, whatever, and keep going from there. But, yeah, I, I mean, getting it to four parts per million is great because you get a lot of 40 part per million P1 phosphorus levels, and we need that ratio to be roughly 10 to 1. Okay, next field, next question. Uh, this one is about lime needed and just where he's at with calcium he said the soil ph and base saturation calcium appear low on these samples but i have been recommended to use the buffer ph instead of the soil ph and the buffer ph doesn't show i need to add lime no, what do you no, say no 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 the buffer ph that has nothing to do with your soil ph really i, I mean your ph is your ph okay Buffer pH, what that's telling you is how easy is it to change your pH? So that's not your actual pH rating. Buffer pH or buffer index is how easy it is to change. And the higher the number, the easier it is to change. The lower the number, the harder it is. So the har by harder, I just mean it requires more lime to get your pH up. All right, let's get to the phone lines here. We've got Josh up in north central Oregon with us right now. How you doing, Josh? Good. How are you doing? Good, good. What can we do for you? Uh, I have a question on uh, wheat. Uh, this spring, uh, or this fall, excuse me, or winter wheat, um, we pl I planted um, two or three weeks earlier than I normally do just because there was good moisture and wanted to get in the ground. And uh, I recently was spraying some cheek beyond on it for some cheatgrass spray and was going over it, and it's really big basically it's probably the same size i would normally spray in the springtime um i was just curious if there's anything you could do to i guess protect it 
through winter as far as is there like fungicide? Yeah, great question. And yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's always going to be a fear is that the wheat's going to get big and then you're going to freeze it off. Okay, so our dad used to complain about winter wheat here. He could never get it to, to survive. And I'm like, oh, we can get it to survive. I'm not too worried. Uh, so we started by, for us, we started by improving drainage, but the biggest thing was improving fertility. So we had great fertility going into the fall and then the, the crop was pretty healthy when we got started. Headline, and there have been some trials done on headline that is showing a little bit better winter survivability. It's because of that strobilurin fungicide that's in there. It's got plant health benefits. So that would be the fungicide that I would consider trying. But if I could go back in time, I would say I'd like to look at the soil test, see how you're doing on overall fertility. Because the more fertile fields we have just found typically, not always, but typically have the better winter survivability. Any Anything else you were curious about specifically, Josh? Uh, just, just that. As far as I mean, if there's anything to protect that, because it's a beautiful stand right now, yeah. I just didn't want to uh, lose. Yep. It, I mean, lose any more than I have to. So I was just yep. curious on that part. I mean, as far as fertility, I'm, 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 I'm I know I'm. My pH is low. I mean, it's just the nature sure. of the area. Sure. Um, and zinc is a little low, and boron's low, and sulfur's a little low, but. Yeah. yeah so, that, I sure. Got of everything. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So moving forward, I, I, I just try to increase those things. Um, there's really nothing else I can tell you other than praying for a whole bunch of snow real quick. So hopefully that works out for you. Hopefully you get better survivability this winter. Good luck to you. I wish there was more we could do. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Insects have rained since the dawn of time, adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. You have a lot at stake when it comes to raising corn. I'm Darren Hefty. That's why on Wednesday, January 17th, we're holding a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll help you navigate all the challenges of corn production, including how to manage exploding pest populations, resistant diseases, fertility challenges, and more. It's a day packed with information. So if you want to get the most out of your corn this season, don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. Can you predict the future? I can't. 
That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at headsupst.com. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about some of the newer crop pests out there, but we're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Okay, I got a new one here for you, Brian. Got a weed problem, Cynodon dactylon, also known as Bermuda grass, or some people call it scutch grass, I guess, if it's a weed, but it can be an invasive weed depending on where it's at and tough to stop. Diego's got that issue down in Argentina. Okay, so... Roundup, obviously, is going to kill your Bermuda grass, or I would assume that's obvious. But you want to run with a high rate. That's the real key. And don't get carried away in the water. Don't be running 40 gallons of water or something. 10 gallons of water would be fine, but just make sure you're running the highest labeled rate on Roundup. Okay, so that's number one. If we can kill everything that's there or we're in a glyphosate-resistant crop, that's the way to go. Or if it's burned down ahead or after. Let's say that it's not. Let's say it's in some other grass. So a couple of things that I'll throw out to you. You can use one of the grass killers. So we talk often about clethodim or fusillate is one in particular that's it's probably fairly decent. Or I should, shouldn't say probably. It is fairly decent on suppressing Bermuda grass without killing some other perennial grasses. So you can look on the label and look that up a little bit because I don't know what even crop we're in here. Uh, or if this isn't a grass or what. So I don't have all the information to give you the best answer to this question. But anyway, the last thing I'll throw out, and that's something that, and I'd never heard of this before, but I started doing uh, some reading on this, just how we're going to kill Bermuda grass in certain places. And some people have used triclopyr, or here in the U.S. it'd be like Remedy Ultra, and gotten some suppression out of Bermuda grass. Now, I'm not going to say it's going to kill the Bermuda grass or anything else, but if it was to suppress that and then allow whatever other grass you have to get ahead a little more, maybe that would help you out. So those are the best things that I can throw out to you. But again, I want to come back to Roundup is the only sure thing. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this one from Marion down in Nebraska. Marion says, I'm curious, where do you find supplies of copper and manganese fertilizer? My local co-op is having a hard time finding these. Okay, so I would say most fertilizer dealers will have access to those. If yours doesn't, you just have to call around a little bit. I I mean, that's what we've had to do sometimes in the past, but there is plenty of availability of those things out there. You, You just need to talk to some other people in your area. Someone will be able to get you hooked up. 
All right, get this one in from Bruce. He said, a couple questions for you. First of all, uh, I need to kill some sycamore trees. Could you point me in the right direction uh, for a Roundup-like product? <laughs> I, I don't know that we've had the question before, Darren, about killing sycamore no, trees haven't. because people want to save them and keep them for a long time. But whatever, I, I guess... We say it all the time here on the show, a plant that is out of place now is technically a weed. So how do you kill a sycamore tree? Well, I mean, the best way is going to be to cut it down and then you take Tordon and just paint it on the stump. So that would be our number one suggestion. Some people, now the thing with Tordon is it kills for a really long time. In other words, the soil residual is tremendously long. Triclopyr, and we were just talking about this product a minute ago, Triclopyr or Remedy Ultra here in the U.S., that can do close to the same thing without all that soil residual. So let's say it happened to be in a shelter belt, and you go, I want to cut this one tree down. I don't probably want to use Tordon. I definitely don't want to spray it around the tree because then I know it's getting in the ground. It's probably going to get into the roots of other plants. Even if you paint it on the stump, you might go, oh, I should be safe then. No, you're not because what's going to happen is the Tordon's going to go down through that stump, get into the roots, and then there's going to be a little bit that goes out into the soil when that root decays, and that could potentially end up in another tree. So that's where also we like Remedy Ultra a little bit better. So those are the two products that we would typically talk about to go over. Let's say it was a bunch of sycamore trees, and you say, well, I want to kill them by just spraying. I don't want to cut them down. Can you spray Tordon out there and will they eventually die? Yes, it would take a lot of Tordon and it's going to take a long time for that great big tree to fully die, but it could be done. So so again, I don't know what your situation is or why you're trying to kill a sycamore tree, but uh, best way, cut her down. Okay, uh, his other question is, can Roundup be used in the fall or early spring if the temperatures are under 50 degrees? Sure, it can be used. It's not going to work very well, but it can be used. What we'll often talk to people about is increasing the rate. So just as an example, a lot of people around here will use 30 ounces of Power Max 3, which is fine in a lot of situations. But you can actually go higher, and you might be able to go to 60 ounces, might even be able to go higher than that. So if it's cold, you want to increase the rate. So if, let's say you were using 30 ounces, you would want to bump to at least 45 ounces if it's that cold and maybe 60 to get similar performance. But even then, the odds are stacked against you. So this is one of the things we talk about often. you you got to think about where you're spraying and when. For example, if you've got two fields to spray, you got one that's a disaster for weeds. The other one, pretty clean. Okay, the one that's a disaster that's the one we care the most about. The one that's pretty clean, that's where I might say, look, I got to spray everything in two days. Today's cold, tomorrow's warm. I can only spray one field per day. I'm going to spray that first field the first day, uh, the, the clean field the first day, figuring if I don't get perfect performance, who cares? I got 10 weeds in the field. When I got 10 million weeds in the field, you better spray when everything is absolutely perfect. So temperatures less than 50 degrees, no way. You're just not going to get much of a kill. Almost all the complaints that we've ever tracked back, and we did track this for a lot of years, uh, it stemmed from weather's just flat out too cold. Uh, 
people can talk about resistance and everything else, but I mean, really, that's only been a problem for the last 10 years or so. I'm talking prior to that. We had quite a few complaints that would come in every year, and we'd see it on Roundup, and it was almost always cold weather. So actually, what we went to was this. We said, look, if it if the nighttime temp, not even the day, the nighttime temp is below 50 degrees, we want you to increase your rate by 50%. 50%. And if the nighttime temp within two days before or after spraying was below 32, you're wasting your money on the Roundup. So if we've been between 32 and 50, we're still okay if you want to spray, but it's just flat out not going to work as well, most likely. You can kind of overcome that by increasing the rate, but if it's me, if I can, I'd prefer to just wait, let the weather warm up, and then I'm going to get better control for less money. All right, thanks for the question. Got this one uh, from MPA. Uh just curious about anhydrous. If you apply anhydrous, how soon can you safely walk through the field? Hmm. Um, I don't know that I've if I've seen any studies necessarily, but let's put it this way. Um, I've I, I, I've applied anhydrous before, and I just know this. I'm going to be awfully careful because that gas is powerful. So. I, I'm more, much more worried about it, though, immediately after I put it in. Even an hour later, in a lot of cases, boy, if there's still some seeping out of the ground, you probably shouldn't have been out there in the first place. So we got to get it down into the ground. we got to get it sealed up. And as long as we do that, I don't know, I've walked in plenty of fields where it was shortly after, and it hasn't been a problem. Maybe I'll die young, Darren, but no, I don't. I don't think so. It goes away pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not too worried either. No. Uh, okay, uh, it's fresh air there. This one comes from Deb, and she asked an interesting question. How does it work with manure? Does the farmer pay for the manure? Does the livestock producer pay the farmer to put the manure on, or is there some kind of combination approach? Uh, it all depends. It, it, it really varies. It, it's just whatever somebody works out with uh, with the person who has the livestock and the manure. So sometimes the person who has the manure will go spread it and they will charge that farmer based on the nutrients that are in there. Sometimes they just ha uh, have to pay for the application. Sometimes they have so much manure and they need to get rid of it. Maybe it's at a certain time of year that would be kind of inconvenient for the other person, then maybe there's a better deal. I mean, there are, there are all kinds of arrangements out there, nothing set. By the way, Darren, I was thinking about the re-entry interval for anhydrous ammonia. I don't know if there is such a thing. Uh, I'm guessing there probably is, but I, I just wanted to go back to that last question. Always look up the re-entry interval for anything you apply. Again, I'm not sure if anhydrous has that or not, but if it does, uh, then we got to follow that. Well, thanks for all the questions today. Really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.